Hello, and welcome to The Plants We Eat, where we cover the surprising history, biology, and culture behind the plants that we use for food. I'm Jeff Gilman, director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and plant enthusiast. I'm Cindy Proctor, part-time instructor from Central Piedmont in Charlotte and a garden coach, landscape professional enthusiast. And it changes every single time. I know. Just to see your expression. And we're starting off today with something um, that I know everybody's been waiting for, the tomato. The tomato. The tomato. Do you like tomatoes? I actually love tomatoes. I do too. Tomato sandwiches? Sure. I like tomato sandwiches, a little bit of mayonnaise. Um, Wonder bread? I love Wonder bread yes. for everything. That's right. There you go. You know, my we're young, friends. <laughs> my, youngest, my youngest daughter, she uh, will only pick and, and eat fresh tomatoes. So we grow, if we don't grow anything else in, a lot, in some years, we don't. We grow cherry tomatoes so that she can go out and pick the cherry tomatoes and eat them. And that will be her vegetable for like the year. I'm the only one that eats them in my family. Really? Yes. Uh, I, I, I love it. We're get, you know, one of the exciting parts about this discussion today is we're going to get uh, into a little bit later on is how tomatoes have been made to retain that fresh flavor. Okay. When, they're, when they're picked. But let's start off with, uh, you know, the more standard stuff. Uh, where did tomatoes come from? Tomatoes come from South America. Um, you know, you can still find the, uh, the plant that tomatoes originally evolved from, and they're actually called pimps. Oh. Isn't that a great name? That pimps. is. Uh, you know, you're thinking about completely different things. But <laughs> Trying to think of a connection, but I... I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind I, of missing it. They're, me too. Pimps are these tiny little red fruits that uh, are grown in South America. They're apparently about the size of a dime, and they taste like a tomato. Okay. And uh, so what we basically have now are, uh, are an evolved tomato, or ones that have been bred and selected to be larger, juicier, obviously. Good for us. Yeah, they were, they were first used uh, by the Aztecs about uh, 1,500 years ago. They come from the, from the Andes, if we want to get a little bit more specific, uh, as, to their, uh, as to their location of origin. They are part of the nightshade family, which, you, you know me and poisons and plants. And to me, them being part of the nightshade family is very cool. Remember when we talked about potato and we talked about the solanine yes. in potatoes? Well, you can find a little bit, and not necessarily in the tomato fruits, but in various parts of the tomato plant. Mm -hmm. Tomato fruits are really all that you want to eat. The other parts of the plant aren't necessarily that great for you. They are very closely related to the potato. And uh, have you ever heard of ketchup and fries? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course you've heard of ketchup and fries. <laughs> so there is actually a plant that you can buy called ketchup and fries. Uh -huh. Do you want to guess? Well, I bet you I bet you know exactly what it is. What <laughs> is ketchup and fries? It's a plant with uh, ketchup with tomatoes and fries. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is a tomato grafted onto a potato. Yeah. Oh, that's so right. <laughs> most of your most of your Solanaceae, that is the nightshade family, most of the plants in that family can be grafted onto each other. That includes eggplants, tomatoes, potatoes, but it includes a very interesting other plant. And uh, and I'd like to read you a newspaper article. Newspaper article from April 20th, 1964. I'm not even going to read you the title because it gives it away. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. New York Times, April 20th, 1964. Not quite headlines, but, you know, it's somewhere in the first 28 Okay. <laughs> Atlanta, April 19th. An outbreak of food poisoning in Hawkins County, Tennessee, has been traced to grafting a tomato plant to a jimson weed, a poisonous plant. The Atlanta Communicable Disease Center traced the source after five persons had become ill. All had heat eaten the homegrown tomatoes. 
the center said the grower had grafted the tomato plant to a jimson weed in an effort to produce a later tomato more resistant to cold. Agency said all parts of the jimson weed are poisonous. It reported the victims of the outbreak suffered visual hallucinations, disorientation, generalized weakness, blurred vision, pronounced thirst, vertigo, and nausea. How about that? What's the name of the article then? Five Poisoned by Tomatoes Grown on a Toxic Weed. Oh. <laughs> you know, the thing is, usually you graft your tomato plants onto something and it's fine. Usually, so this, this is actually a broad generalization, but there are actually a lot of root systems out there that do produce um, some toxins. It's actually not that uncommon. Usually, this toxin does not enter the fruit. The, there's a barrier, actually, the fruit. And so the poisons don't go across. We don't hear much about it because of that. Right, exactly, exactly. So this is really an exception where the poison did find its way into the fruit. And I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. Smell a research project. Doesn't that sound like a research project? Yeah. I'm really tempted. I just don't want to be the one testing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the only time that tomatoes were deadly. They've been thought of as deadly for a long, long time, again, because they're related to plants in the nightshade family. And especially if you live in South America, they look like plants in the nightshade family that are quite deadly. And people of wealth didn't eat tomatoes, did they? No, they didn't. And this is something that was actually relatively new to me. And based on your last comment, maybe you saw it too. Did you, did, did you read much about the aristocracy in the 16th and 17th century? I didn't get that deep, but I did read that people of wealth didn't read it because they thought it was poisonous. And it wasn't until more unfortunate folks started to eat them and discover things about. Sorry, the, go ahead. No, you're Sorry. exactly you're exactly right. Yes. I was waiting for you to continue, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, generally speaking, wealthy people did not eat tomatoes, while poor people, it wasn't a centerpiece of their diet, but they at least ate it somewhat. It was thought of as, a, uh, as an aristocracy killer. Of course, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that the aristocracy that ate tomatoes would usually show some uh, mental loss over, over time, and there was an actual reason for this. I say remember, I shouldn't use the word remember because most of you can't remember back to the 16th and 17th century. <laughs> but um, if you could, you would remember that the aristocracy generally ate off of pewter plates. Now, oh, I read this. Pewter plates lead have... Lead poisoning. Exactly. Yes. Lead poisoning. Pewter plates have lead in them. And when you have a tomato which has a high acid content on the pewter plate, some of the lead will become dissolved. Now, probably eating tomatoes once off of a pewter plate or with a pewter fork isn't going to create much of a problem, but lead builds up in the system. And so over time, this could cause a, a very, very serious issue. So the first tomatoes reached Europe about 1521, and they actually were considered, um, they actually were relatively popular. And the reason they were popular is as ornamental plants. They do have beautiful berries. Generally speaking, the tomatoes weren't as large as today, so what you'd see are these great tomatoes with all kinds of small red berries on them. Wasn't there resistant to them still because they were such that cherry red color and it just was weighted with poison? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yes. Yeah, there was. Okay. Um, but, it, I mean, think of the, you know, some juniper berries. Well, actually not juniper berries, but... Um, Use uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yew berries, which were thought of to be poisonous. And of course, we now know from one of our past episodes that it isn't actually the berry that's poisonous, but the seed inside okay. it. But exactly right. Okay. You thought of the red as a deadly poison. One of the things that, that I found particularly interesting is that uh, across Europe, tomatoes were used as an ornamental. They were periodically eaten by the lower classes and by the aristocracy. But again, the aristocracy, you know, if they ate too many of them, they'd, they'd go mad. 
But in Italy, we always think of Italy as having these, you know, these these tomato-rich foods, but they really weren't used in Italy in until the late 1600s. And you know, I was looking everywhere in all kinds of articles for the reason why they became popular. And the general consensus, there there were actually a lot of theories, the general consensus was that Italians simply did not eat that wide range of foods at that time. And because they ate such a, a paucity of food types, the tomato was simply a way to spice things up, a way to give things more energy or more pop when they when they ate it. That's hard to imagine that we don't identify Italian food without tomatoes. I know, isn't it though? Yeah. Um, you know I, the Italian the Italian flag, you see the uh, the green, the white and the uh, and the red. Uh-huh. You know what you think of that as? The basil, the mozzarella and the tomato. <laughs> Which, you know, that has nothing no bearing on it but a memory no, but a memory <laughs> skill, right? <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> anyway, tell me something. Should tomato be considered a fruit or a vegetable? Well, you know, there's a lot of controversy over this. Botanists define a fruit with seeds. Exactly. Okay, so there so, you but, go. So botanically, it's a fruit. Yes. But culinarily, should they be considered a fruit or a vegetable? I think a vegetable. Exactly, because a vegetable is served with salt while a fruit is served with sugar. Generally speaking, of you know, course. No, I didn't you know, really think of it that way, but you're no. right. I learned that from a guy at CPCC, actually, uh, one of the chefs over there. Seriously. Okay. I said, should it be a fruit or a vegetable? And he said, well, from my standpoint, the way we think of it, when we're in the kitchen, a vegetable is something that we eat with salt and a fruit is something we eat with sugar. Okay. And of course, there are exceptions to that. I, you can certainly... I like that one, though. Yeah, it works. It works. Um, over the years, tomatoes have generally been bred for all kinds of different things. But one of the overriding things that they breed for is actually not flavor. As a population, we're geared to prefer things that are attractive to the eye more than the tongue. So well, it's health. Are, right. Perfect. It's health. It's good to buy. Exactly. Yes. So that bright red color, not that tomatoes aren't always, I shouldn't say always red, certainly we have many different types of tomatoes, mm-hmm. but the biggest factor that's generally bred for is that redness. Although there certainly are a number of other things, including Skin toughness for transportation and right, you know, um, but flavor flavor is way down the list. It is, and so I we kind of keep to a few kinds. Exactly, and it's really interesting to me that we focus so much on the color. One thing that I do want to point out in this podcast, and perhaps you're going to touch on it a little bit later, a lot of the tomatoes that we eat are hybrids. Mm -hmm. And we talked about hybrids back in the corn episode. Basically, we're crossing one group of tomatoes with another group of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And we get this seed. When we plant this seed, it produces a crop which is bigger and better than we would expect from either of the parents. Mm -hmm. When you plant a crop like that, a lot of gardeners would think, oh, this is a great tomato. I can just take seeds from this and grow. And next year, I'll have a tomato just like this. Not the case anymore. Could be an heirloom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what I want you to know is there's nothing wrong with saving the seeds from one of these hybrids. And you can plant the seeds and you will get a tomato plant, but do not expect it to be similar to the plant that it came from. Because that's the thing about a hybrid. A hybrid is only made from that first cross. It's not made on the next cross. Mm So go ahead and replant the seeds. Just don't expect what you had this year. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to get to the controversial part of the tomato. Okay. The very first genetically modified organism. You knew that I was going to talk about it, didn't you? I thought it was corn. No, the very first genetically modified. Yeah, you didn't know it? 
Oh, Cindy. I disappoint you. Sometimes. Okay. Um, the Flavor Saver Tomato. Do you remember the Flavor Saver? Oh, yes. The Flavor Saver okay. Tomato That's was... what that... See, I don't pay it. I start listening to people argue about that stuff, and I tune it out. So, okay. Well, that I understand all. <laughs> flavor Saver Tomato. The Flavor Saver okay. Tomato is the first genetically modified plant to hit the market. It came out in 1994 and uh, was off the market by 1997. Well, what was it bred to do? So, the Flavor Saver Tomato, there were, there were a bunch of things that was actually bred for and some it came through on some it didn't so here's the basics there's a there's an enzyme in tomato that breaks it down makes it soft and so you know when you get the tomatoes in the grocery store the reason they don't have that fantastic flavor is because they're not vine ripened they're picked green and even when you pick some of the vine with it you know to try to get that vine ripened flavor it still doesn't quite work i totally agree i mean it's better but it's not it's great. a tried but couldn't effort the whole way around right exactly yeah. exactly but if you pick it fresh off the vine it has that that pop that mm -hmm. just delicious for those of you out here there who know about antisense genes, it's, it actually gets kind of complicated. But they made an antisense gene of this enzyme. Basically meant that the tomato produced about 1% of the enzyme that it would normally produce. So the tomato didn't rot at the same rate, at the same speed that a normal tomato would rot. So they could pick it off the vine red. And so it maintained that great flavor. Here's the problem. The company that was working on this. Um, the name of the company was Calgene. Calgene didn't have access to the best varieties. Remember that your best varieties are going to be patented. So since they didn't have access to the best varieties, they didn't have access to the best flavors anyway. There were problems That's all too over. bad. It is too bad yeah. because if it had worked better, it would have been a great introduction to um, gene modification for people. And instead, it was a, it was a failure. Um, marketing you know, you, I've actually looked at a number of different sources to see why it failed, and I, I found at least five or six different reasons. But it seems to me, it seemed to me that it actually started off reasonably strong and then faded away. And it faded away, first of all, because the tomatoes didn't deliver all they promised, mostly because of the varieties that they had transformed. People started to wonder whether frankenfoods were good, you know, the big debate on frankenfoods. The arguments I was hearing. Right, the arguments you're hearing, they, they came into play and people got upset about it. And, um, and generally speaking, the company seemed to be technologically very astute, but not very good in terms of their business minds. Oh. They didn't seem to be really... Division of labor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They didn't seem to be completely savvy. That's understandable. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but it was... a. Uh, that's always interested me because most people do believe that it's either corn or maybe cotton or something like no, that. No, I really thought it was corn, but yeah. it surprises me it was tomato, but it doesn't uh, surprise me it was the beginning of... Yeah. Now, of course, GMO wars. Of course, this is the first marketed ones. There were plants transformed before tomatoes. This is just the first one that somebody could buy. I mean, tobacco, I think, was transformed well before that, just for experimental yes. reasons. So you said you grow tomatoes at home. I grow some tomatoes at home. What, do, you, do you follow whether it's determinate or indeterminate? Do you have favorite kind? So I don't, we grow, but Claire, Claire's favorite, sweet 100s. Oh, the little cherry ones. The sweet, yes. as, sweet as all get out. Pop Love them those. in your mouth. Yep. Yeah, they're yep. good. You know, they're one of the few tomatoes out there you can get today that's truly sweet and delicious. Some of the heirlooms get close, but I think that's the sweetest. Okay, those are good. So, you know, if you're looking for a tomato plant now, you're, you have to really pay attention, or at least I try to, indeterminate or determinate. And that means that, you know, indeterminate is that it will grow, 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 grow. You have to stake it up. 
and it would produce as tomatoes along the the stem slash vine over a period of uh, about a month, Mm -hmm. you know, in the summertime. The determinant has a maximum height, and it usually gives you a crop all at once. And like if you're canning tomatoes or making lots of sauce or whatever, that's probably better type of tomato to buy because you need lots of tomatoes at one time to fulfill those those efforts, you know. Right. So um but then they've come out with heirloom tomatoes and you say they've come out with them, but theoretically they haven't really well, I mean it's the marketing thing. Right, but they, haven't they been around for a long time? Yes, but the definition of an heirloom tomato is that it, it can't be hybridized or something, you know, crossed or, you know, what for 50 years. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, th- those. So, did people just find them in their backyards and start growing them? Well, that, it's kind of like what's organic and what's not organic argument. You know, there mm-hmm. can be rules, but the rules 50 are... years is that's kind of how do you, do you trace that back? And there is paperwork to do that. But um, even though the rules seem locked in, this is true of organic, even though the rules seem locked in, when you actually look at it, they're a little bit more flexible than they yeah. appear at first. What they've really cross-plant tomato plants is, of course, to make really large ones. Everybody at one time wanted large ones, like a uh, better bush or big boy, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. those are really great tomatoes, by the way, if you love tomato sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And but they they also hybridize them to be resistant to verticulum wilt, mm-hmm. uh, fusarium wilt, nematodes. I mean, there's a long list, and there's actually abbreviations on your on your label when yeah, you buy I've noticed, it. I've noticed those. Yes. And those are those are really important. If you know the diseases that are around in right. your area. Here in the South, you know, our biggest thing is blossom end rot, which is a calcium, you know, deficiency. So we don't have too much of that that I have ever noticed in our mm. area. But I know it's prevalent, you know, around the country. Anybody can grow a tomato who has a summer. I always like buying the seedlings at the store, and you're supposed to bury them pretty deep, mm-hmm. which it goes against the grain in our horticulture world. Right. We're taught, especially for trees, which I worked on for, you know, years and years, right. uh, we would never bury a tree deep. No. But tomatoes, except for grafted tomatoes. Yes, you're right. Grafted tomatoes, you're not supposed to. But regular tomatoes that are not grafted, you're supposed to bury them deep so they can develop a strong framework mm-hmm. for their fruit load. Right. You know, or vegetable load. <laughs> right. <They're, laughs> depending if you're talking about whatever. botanically right. or culinarily. So um, they will bear fruit around 55 to 90 degrees. So here in the South, when it gets too hot, it's important to find types that do well in heat. Now, I've heard, and, and tell me if I'm, I'm right here, because pretty much the only tomatoes that I grow are the ones I do on my back porch. I've heard that you need warm soil to grow tomatoes. Yes. So, so your tomatoes come out for sale here anyway in April sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I wait till late May. Okay. You know, because they want warmth. They need warm soil, warm air, just like I said, to really thrive. Otherwise, you're going to invite all kinds of pests. You I've, know? Heard, I've heard a number of 70, but I have to say I heard that from somebody I don't necessarily trust. Okay. Is that, would you say 70 is a good? Yeah, 55 to 90. Okay. It's really what, you know, at night, you know, in the summertime, it's 70 at night. Right. Here, anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 55 to 90, 70 degrees would probably be in the middle. Right. Yeah, so, it would be more so or less. So there you go. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I like to do raised beds because pH would be best around 6.2 to 6.8. Okay. And that Slightly helps acidic. with the calcium 
you know, um, mm-hmm. issue. So it's not quite alkaline, but usually our soils are around the five. Mm-hmm. So raised beds are always going to be my my choice and fertilize and they need sun six to eight hours a day. Yes. That's one thing that I've noticed. I have tried that to grow them. helps with taste. Does it really? Yes. I've tried to grow them in lower light and even now they're not in perfect light and I have no success. So cracked fruit is overwatering, mm-hmm. okay? And blossom and rot is a lack of calcium, which you can get temporary sprays for that. And uh, something long- that something that I do, which has always worked for me, is to put eggshells uh, in the soil. Yeah, I don't. That's not enough for me. No, you go with the. You can also. I also have used gypsum. Yes, but you need a well. Yes, but that doesn't alter the G, the the pH. The pH right, yes, which is why I use gypsum. Yes, cause, okay. Because generally speaking, I use an acidic soil mix. Okay, you can uh, grow them in containers. That's, is that what you that's do? That's what I do. Of course you do. That's what I do. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, tomato hornworms are an issue, but they're beautiful. I love the hornworm I enough that too. I don't. I don't take them off. I, I just know. Leave them on. I know they're just fun. But um, manage your drought conditions would be my biggest thing. You yeah. know, and we've had a lot of drought this uh, this season. We here. have, and this season we've been better than ever. We've had, we've actually had bumper crops of tomatoes, and not that we've grown that many plants. Did you water them? We were on top of the watering, and the few times we were away, the people who were watching the house, we made sure we said, keep the water on them. So just by keeping the water on, we've had some of the best tomatoes we've, we've ever had. Claire's eating all of them, so it's not like we well, get any. I would eat all of them, too. But tomatoes, please grow a tomato. You just, you, you're not a gardener unless you grow some tomatoes every year. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a good, um, good gateway crop. That's right. <laughs> That's a good way to say it, gateway crop. We look forward to talking to you next time. This has been The Plants We Eat, and this has been a production of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte Botanical Gardens, the Isle Group at University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.